Welcome to the Brookings Cafeteria, a place where Brookings scholars discuss ideas about and solutions for the most pressing public policy challenges. I'm Fred Dews. Over the past decade, sub-Saharan African economies have grown 5% a year, and the region's economy should double by 2030. Yet this growth is not enough to spread needed development and progress throughout the region. Amadou C., a senior fellow with the Africa Growth Initiative at Brookings, talks about the role of foreign direct investment, priorities for African policymakers, and the prospect for conflict resolution in the most troubled areas. Amadou, welcome to the podcast today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, Africa in your work, your research with the Africa Growth Initiative. But first, uh, a definitional question. When we talk about Africa, obviously, it's a, it's a large continent, over a billion people, 54 countries. Uh, I think the Africa Growth Initiative mostly focuses on sub-Saharan Africa. Is that correct? That's correct. And sometimes we even focus on what we could call Middle Africa, mm-hmm. because South Africa is, you know, an emerging market and is pretty developed compared to the rest of the African countries. So Sub-Saharan Africa with an emphasis on Middle Africa. Right. And yeah. I think that speaks to the to the diversity of this giant continent. I think a lot of people will think of Africa, they'll hear the word Africa and they'll just they they won't think about it the way that that scholars like yourself think about it as this giant landmass. It's the um second largest continent in the world, 54 countries, billions of people. So what do you think of when you hear people talk about Africa? Well, you know, there's no doubt that there is this monolithical view, monolithic view of of Africa out there, uh, Africa as a country. And um, for the better or the worse, uh, depictions of Africa as a bloc can have a major impact on on its image. And uh, typically it's a negative image, uh, you know, associated with wars and famines and aid and so on. Um, But, uh, you know, I always remember these covers of the the magazine, The Economist, Uh, you know, in 2000 it was Africa, the hopeless continent, and um, in 2011, uh, it said Africa rising, and recently they had another one called Aspiring Africa. But the bottom line is that uh, uh, news about Africa, we believe, can have a major impact on, you know, aid flows, on on investment flows, on trade. Um, so it's important, uh, I think, to give a at least a, a correct image of Africa. And I'll I'll post. Uh images from your report from The Economist magazine, because I do think they're very striking, um, showing the transformation over the last 14 or 15 years. Now, you talked about, you just mentioned the word aid flows, investment, and trade. And I think along with this uh, view as Africa, years ago as the hopeless continent, we thought a lot about development aid, sending bags of food to, to people. But you're talking about other things. You're talking about that, but you're talking about investment. You're talking about trade. You're talking about um, private investment. Can you speak to the difference uh, between and among those terms? Yeah, sure. So first of all, we at AGI, or personally, have focused more on uh, trade and investment because we have a fantastic group of scholars already working on on aid and official uh, development assistance um, Homi Karas and Lawrence Chandy. Um, so basically, um, we 
look at uh, private capital flows, and in there you have uh, foreign direct investment, which is uh, the most important one. And in foreign direct investment, you have uh, the green field and the brown field. So a green field is suppose um, uh, General Electric going to a country and um, you know uh, starting a new plant. Uh, Brownfield, it would be when they acquire an existi existing plant. And then on top of that, on top of the foreign direct investment, you have uh, portfolio flows. You know, a number of African countries have been issuing um, sovereign bonds, uh, and sometimes at lower interest rates than the European crisis countries. Um, also, um, you know, the growth, uh, uh, the economic growth that we have seen recently has also attracted a lot of equity um, portfolio investors uh, coming and buying shares in the uh, domestic stock markets. And also, uh, some governments have been issuing treasury bills at very high yield, and sometimes their uh, exchange rate has been appreciating. So you could make money by buying the yield, and when you get out and bring your money back to the U.S. dollars, by converting it uh, with a currency that has appreciated with towards the U.S. dollars. What's an example uh, of uh, an African nation issuing sovereign bonds, and, and how, how can such uh, a financial instrument be used? Yeah, so right now, Kenya is, is, uh, is uh, doing what is called a roadshow, actually in the U.S., and is, it's going to be its debut uh, sovereign bond. Uh, but you have other countries that issued uh, before. Of course, South Africa has, has been one that has been issuing a lot. But uh, countries as diverse as Senegal, uh, you know, um, and uh, you could find other ones, but Senegal has issued and Kenya will issue. Um, uh, and right now, for example, uh, one big, big priority is to finance infrastructure project. So by issuing a sovereign bond, uh, you could have uh, the funds uh, to invest in infrastructure, but it could also go just to, 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 to support the general budget. Well, let's use the infrastructure financing to pivot to China and its investment in Africa. Now, I think a lot of people connect China to Africa by way of infrastructure investments and also think that China, more than any other country, has this huge investment in infrastructure. Now, your colleague, Yun Sun, in the Africa Growth Initiative, recently has a report that shows that Africa is actually not, in China's calculus, as large as people think it is. Can you address China's role and in investment in Africa? Yeah. So first of all, it's true that Africa economically is small. I mean, the whole country of Kenya has a GDP which is comparable to that of Madison, Wisconsin, here in the U.S. So uh, Africa economically is quite small. But Africa has uh, certain resources uh, that are not abundant in other countries. So uh, if you are China and you need copper because of this high industrial growth, uh, the copper in Zambia is very attractive to you. Uh, if you are Japan and you producing automobile, uh, the platinum in South Africa is very attractive to you. And of course, all these oil giant companies are in Africa, my, uh, from the U.S., China, and so on. So that's, that's one fact. But I think China is in Africa definitely for the natural resources. China is in Africa also because it's betting 
on uh, the growth, on the potential of Africa. And if you see um, aid flows, as well as investment flows, they have been uh, increasing. Uh, I mean, China's uh, share has been increasing a lot. Uh, like China and the investment from the other BRICS account for, I think, about a quarter now of investment flows, uh, uh, direct investment. Whereas traditionally, if you look at the stock of investment, they're mostly from the EU and from US. But the, 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 the growth that we're seeing these days is mainly from China and the other BRICS. And I did want to ask then, how does China's investment compare to the United States and the EU's investment? So that's a very good question, very interesting. Uh, we have a scholar here, David Dollar, who's a China expert, who's been also looking at these issues. And you would see that, first of all, U.S. and China, the U.S. and China, both invest a lot into natural resource-rich countries. Most of foreign direct investment to Africa go to um, Nigeria, Angola, and, uh, you know, resource-rich countries. But one big difference is China is in almost all the countries, uh, is, 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 and whereas the U.S. is a bit more, uh, discrimin is discriminating a little bit more, and for example, it will look more at issues of governance, whereas uh, China has this policy of no interference and so on. So let's take the example of Mozambique. Uh, the Chinese will be there, whereas U.S. firms will be a bit hesitant to go to, sorry, not Mozambique, I meant Zimbabwe. Uh, uh, yeah, so China will be there, but the U.S. will will not go as aggressively. Okay, and um, you've you've written about something, and others are writing about something called South South investment. Can you explain what that is? Yes. So typically, uh, most of the investment comes from the richest countries uh, globally, mostly OECD countries. So South South, you can compare it mostly um, to non OECD countries investing in other non-OECD countries, trading um, bit among themselves. So in the case of uh, Africa, it will be mostly China again, um, but you will see uh, to a lesser degree India, Brazil, um, Malaysia, and even uh, countries in the Gulf. And OECD, that's the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. I think I got that yeah. right. Yeah, that's right. And that's mostly European that's, countries? Yeah, that's, that's mostly European countries. Uh, Mexico is part okay. of it, too. Uh, Korea, I think, is part of it, too. U.S., but Canada. Yeah, so it's mostly the, the richest countries in globally. So speaking of the European Union, it's in the headlines a lot. They just had a big uh, election for its parliament. Um, so we know it, at base it's a it's a it's a trading block. It's, it's an economic union, a currency union. Are there economic unions and trading blocks within Africa? Oh yes, and this is this is very important for Africa. So many African countries uh, are very small. They they you know the borders are a legacy of uh, colonialism. Um, so many are small. Uh, uh, you have about uh, half a dozen. Uh, which are landlocked. Uh, so the cost of doing business is high. The cost of trading among African countries is high. Markets from a foreign investor's perspective can be small. So right now, uh, there's even an initiative to have one 
African Regional Economic Community. And the building blocks of this one Africa Regional Economic Communities are uh, smaller regional economic communities. So in the West, for example, you have ECOWAS, the Economic Community of Western African States, which includes Nigeria and the Francophone countries in the West and Ghana. In the South, you have SADC. In the uh, East, you have East African Community with Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, and Burundi. So. The idea is to have common markets, free trade agreements, uh, and, and basically even at some point to have common currencies and then at some point converge to one regional, uh, to one African economic community. I saw a uh, chart that you gave in a presentation that shows the seven or eight major blocks, but then it shows all of these overlapping circles and ovals and how some are in one and some are in multiple, and it, it's kind of it's yeah. like a bowl of spaghetti. Definitely, it's 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 a it's a it's a bowl of spaghetti, and some countries like the DRC are members of maybe two or even three regional economic communities, and it doesn't make it. it, it, it you know, when in terms of priorities for a country, you have sometimes conflicting priorities, and it doesn't help really. Um, but uh, countries are aware of that, and right now, a very good example of a, a regional community which is very aggressive is the Eastern African community. And you have a US, U.S. initiative called Trade Africa, which is specifically targeted to increasing, I think it's even doubling the trade from the EAC to the U.S. And is that initiative related to the Africa Growth and Opportunity Act, AGOA? It's, it's, it's related. The, the, that in the, uh, the AGOA, as we call, we call it, um, tries to give uh, preferential access to, uh, 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 to products from a number of African countries. Um, these countries in, in, in have uh, in exchange to abide by a number of governance indicators. Um, uh, so sometimes if there's a coup, they will be taken out of the initiative, like it was the case um, for Madagascar. But um, basically, that's a very good initiative for, uh, for Africa in terms of opening um, um, access to the U.S. markets. But there's a lot of work still to be done in terms of increasing the uptake. So let's pivot um, on your word coup. Uh, and, I, and I don't want to focus on the bad news because uh, there is so much good news. But there, is, there are some troubling spots. So let's look at Nigeria, for example. And you've written that, quote, Nigeria's economic growth is expected to reach 6.75% in 2014, yet there are concerns that this impressive growth has failed to translate into job creation, end quote. And by comparison, I think the U.S. Uh, economic growth rate is somewhere in the 1% to 2% range over the past couple of years. So that's astonishing growth. And yet we see... Um, you know, one the main thing we see in Nigeria, unfortunately, is what Boko Haram has done in kidnapping the the hundreds of um, schoolgirls. Mm -hmm. um, but w how, how do how do how does this economic growth not get translated into um, you know jobs and infrastructure and benefits for the people who live in the country? Now, this is a critical issue. Um, first of all, I mean, uh, just as a reminder, the growth in Africa is very high, but it's still not enough. Uh, you know, if you compare uh, Africa to China and other uh, uh, fast-growing countries uh, like uh, Vietnam and so on, uh, they started uh, growing before Africa and at a very 
uh, high pace. So we have a lot of catching up to do. Uh, if you take the GDP uh, of African countries and of uh, these uh, other countries and put it at 100 in 1970, they are above 500 right now. We are below 200. So we need more growth. So, which means that not only do we need to accelerate the growth that we have right now, but we need this growth to be sustainable. And one issue is that, uh, and it's, it, you know, the Boko Haram, uh, the violence by Boko Haram is highlighting the fact that we need to work on governance. We need the growth to be inclusive. Uh, we need to create jobs. We need to avoid having one part of a country uh, growing at a much slower pace than the other part. And in Nigeria, that's the case between the north and the south. Um, so there's a lot of work still to be done, in, even in countries that are growing fast like Nigeria. Uh, and uh, governance, I think, is really the key here. And uh, shifting a little bit to the east from Nigeria, we have uh, Central African Republic. Um, this spring, you moderated a really exceptional panel with uh, three faith leaders from that country uh, facing its uh, considerable crisis that's still ongoing. Can you speak to what's happening um, in Central African Republic or in a place like South Sudan, uh, where we see ongoing conflict and maybe not even as much economic potential as we see in a place like Nigeria. Yeah, let me start with South Sudan. I think in South Sudan, the key issue is that we have a failure of the leadership to really transition from a, a liberation war, let's call it li like that, to a, a, a you know peaceful, uh, uh, democratic, uh, administration, uh, and this is this is really really sad for for this this country. Um, uh, so this transition has not happened, and we hope that the current efforts to to, to go to have peace will will succeed. And this is a country which has a lot of potential. It has oil. Um, uh, it has also apparently a very good potential for agriculture. So now in the CAR, this country, uh, which, which gained independence in, from France in the 60s, is as big as France and Belgium put together. It's as big as, as, as Texas. Uh, it's a huge country. Unfortunately, it has very, very weak institutions. The government there has never been able to really control the country, to, to really uh, have a, a certain a minimum of service delivery to its citizens. And uh, uh, the leaders have always relied um, on neighboring countries or on France to, to really uh, manage the country. The first um, International Criminal Court case uh, was, was, was um, after a, a, a president of the Central African Republic asked to, to bring in Jean-Claude Bemba, who, who was a, a um, basically a, uh, a militia leaders in, in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo, because he was asked to help a former president topple an, the incumbent president. So basically just failed institutions in this country and um, always uh, uh, having uh, um, uh, other countries support uh, the leaders, and we had uh, this, this escalation, which unfortunately is, is leading to sectarian violence as we speak. A, a coworker of mine in my department just got back from a personal trip to Rwanda. 
And one of the things that he spoke about that, that struck him was the reconciliation efforts in that mm-hmm. country you know, following the very brutal genocide. And I'm also thinking about South Africa's experience with reconciliation under Nelson Mandela. Do you think some of the conflicts in Africa, uh, or the the parties in the conflicts, could look to the experience of South Africa and Rwanda uh, as as inspiration to kind of move beyond their sectarian conflicts? Definitely. And I would add uh, Liberia to that that, uh, list, too. uh, actually, when we hosted uh, those, those leaders and also we went to a presentation by uh, uh, a minister in, uh, from the CAR, it's in the roadmap. The roadmap is very clear for the CAR. First, you need security. Uh, you need peace, you need at least agriculture to restart, and you need reconciliation too. And hopefully all of that would lead to, um, to, uh, to elections in due time. Uh, so I, I think right now it's just a matter of, of having a, the leadership to make this road, to implement this roadmap. Uh, the devil is in the detail. We, we know that we need reconciliation. We know what to do, but it's just not happening. Uh, and of course, you have very strong uh, entrenched interests uh, from, from different sides. Yeah. Let's go back then to the, the bigger picture of um, investment and development. What are some of the top priorities, as you see it, for African nations? Yeah, that's a good question. So African policymakers themselves have sat down um, in, in, in numerous fora, including uh, under the ages of the African Union, or when they go uh, every four years to Tokyo for this Tokyo International Conference on, on, on Aid and Development. And uh, they have set up, uh, they have decided that uh, a number of issues were, were top priority. So infrastructure, for example, you know, estimates differ, but apparently just to take agricultural products to markets, you could lose 40 to 50 percent of, 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 of the, the of total just because of, you know, lack of refrigeration, bad roads and bad railroads and so on. Or power outages. I mean, the whole country of Liberia consumes less electricity than uh, Dallas Stadium on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, you know, on a game night. So it's amazing. amazing. So there's a, there's a lot to do. And African countries are really, really uh, uh, um, focusing on increasing energy, uh, increasing infrastructure. Uh, But there's an issue there. So the gap is huge because even by using their own domestic resources, taxes, fiscal revenues, and so on, it's not enough. So you could, again, reduce the gap by through productivity, better maintenance, and so on. But it will still not be enough. And then there's a need for foreign investment. There's a need for foreign aid. So uh, right now, the, the there are basically maybe two big models. One model is the Chinese model. And there, the, com- the comparative advantage of China is that it's very fast. So if you're a politician and you are, um, you are facing elections and there are power outages every night, uh, China can build you a coal-generated power, pump, power plant very quickly. Uh, for a U.S. firm to do that, it will take a, a, a long, for U.S. Uh, aid, it will take a longer t- uh, time. But then you have the, um, 
the, this model, which is the Power Africa model, where the U.S. is is having 12 U.S. agencies coordinating among themselves and asking the U.S. private sector and also the domestic African private sector to 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 come in and 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 um, you know uh, invest in um, uh, power projects, uh, and apparently. Uh, it's promising, and it's a very interesting um, uh, model because the Chinese model is also very fast, but sometimes uh, it's not very transparent. It's very difficult to know well what are really the costs for the government and for future generations. So, but China is also evolving, and uh, I c just to finish, um, one of uh, a a major investment in the country of Guinea is an iron ore. Um, uh, mine in in a, in a place called Simandu in Guinea, and there you have Chinalco uh, with the uh, uh, IFC, which which is part of the World Bank Group, International Finance Corporation, and Rio Tinto. So it is also a very very interesting model to have uh, China, a big multinational like Rio Tinto, and a multilateral guarantee. Uh, sorry, a multilateral institution. Uh, in a project which apparently could double the GDP of Guinea from a low base, of course. But the models are very interesting. And uh, we think a lot about, say, the U.S. or the European Union or China's role and interest in Africa. What about African nations' interest and role in uh, other parts of the world, in uh, multilateral institutions and governance institutions? That's a good question, too. Um, but, you know, the governance of multilateral institution is such that the U.S. has a leading role. The U.S. has a leading role in uh, the IMF, in the World Bank, uh, even in the African Development Bank. Um, but in interesting cases, for example, Nigeria, which at some point uh, helped establish, uh, I think it's called the African, uh, 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 within the African Development uh, Bank, um, some kind of a non-concessional lending uh, uh, fund with, with Nigerian money. So they, uh, that, that was something interesting. Uh, but I, I think right now, uh, I would like to see regional institutions in Africa uh, become more important, strengthen them, because I think really we need, um, we have a lot of, lot of uh, potential gains from having these regional economic communities in terms of uh, intra-regional trade, intra-regional investment, and it's happening. For example, you look at this Pan-African Banking Group. You have a group like EcoBank, which is an African bank, which is in a lot of uh, African countries. Some South African banks also have gone up north and are in a number of African countries. So it's happening, let's say, in the banking sector. It's happening in the telecom sector. So I think um, uh, working towards uh, regional integration, uh, cost, you know, like the non-tariff uh, barriers, uh, you know, for example, having one border post in Kenya uh, apparently is helping a lot because, like, uh, move uh, uh, goods to Rwanda, which is landlocked. So I, w I would I would foster this um, Africa uh, this African integration agenda. And also looking ahead, if you could advise, and I know you do, U.S. policymakers on what they should be thinking about in terms of uh, trade and investment and and foreign policy with. 
African nations, what are some of the things that you think are a top priority? Yeah, so this is a very exciting agenda because, you know, on August 4th and 5th, uh, Washington, D.C. will welcome for the first time the first U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit. So other countries have had that. You know, China has what it calls the FOCAC. Japan has the TCAD. There's a EU-Africa, India. Everybody's doing it, and the U.S. is going to do it for the first time. So, um, I mean, President Obama in his first term was a bit... Um, how could I put it, um, timid when it came to uh, African policy, um, but who, it's difficult to blame him because we had a financial crisis here in the U.S. So in this second term, uh, hopes are very high. Uh, one thing, though, where he, he deserves some credit, he, 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 uh, he continued uh, those initiatives that uh, his predecessors had. So you had AGOA for the trade with President Clinton, you had PEPFAR, for um, you know, health and aid with President Bush, so he continued there, and he announced this um, Power Africa, which uh, uh, will uh, hopefully increase um, uh, generation and access to energy. He also have Trade Africa, and you have other um, more general initiatives, but that include Africa, like a global fund, you know, for uh, AIDS, tuberculosis, uh, and malaria feed the future. So I think right now, um, uh, and of course, the U.S. is always big on governance and also on, on this youth and gender agenda. You know, uh, one thing we hear a lot here in Washington is how excited they are about, they are about this YALI, uh, um, youth, uh, Young African Leaders Initiative, uh, looking at future generations and so on. So I think right now, um, uh, this uh, this this uh, leaders summit is very timely. It will give the um, the, the, um, the administration uh, a platform to really uh, focus on a few issues and have priorities. Uh, personally, I think um, I would like to see a, 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 a you know a two pronged approach. You know, we had the G8 Glen Eagles um, commitment when it comes to to aid. And aid has uh, decreased in general, the G8 aid. So I would like to see U.S. leadership roll into still maintaining that aid agenda. But still, uh, you know, trade and investment to Africa, uh, you know, there's a lot of goodwill uh, when it comes to the U.S. in Africa. And um, I don't think the U.S. Uh, administration will announce a big uh, loan, uh, sorry, big, big dollars like uh, China or Japan did. But enrolling, um, being a Sherpa for U.S. Uh, private sector, I think would, would really uh, have uh, interesting uh, consequences, uh, positive for Africa. Well, I think uh, goodwill is a, uh, is a good note to end this interview on. And I, I assume the Africa Growth Initiative will be uh, looking at that uh, U.S.-Africa Leader Summit and beyond. Yeah, definitely. We're very excited about it. Uh, we have a lot of uh, events that we are planning. In terms of research, we're looking also uh, uh, at foreign investment to Africa and what policy messages we'll have. Agoa. We are, we are very busy. <laughs> Terrific. Well, thank you very much for your time, Ahmed. Thank you. Thank you very much. To learn more, visit brookings.edu slash Africa Growth. And don't forget to subscribe to the Brookings Cafeteria on iTunes.